Okay. So, the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's an exhaustive topic. I mean, um, many books have been written just on the prayer alone. Uh, sermons have been preached on each petition of the, of the prayer. Uh, in fact, for those of you here, you know, for a number of years, uh, when the mentoring group first started, Pastor Jensen was giving those interested in opportunities to preach and learning how to preach and get better at preaching. Uh, he would give us first a 15-minute sermon uh, where we went through the Beatitudes and then uh, a half-hour sermon and then a 45-minute sermon. I believe it was for the 45-minute one uh, that we each took a, um, a, a pet one petition <laughs> and, and preached on it. Uh, so this is uh, a prayer that we're all familiar with. We, we sing it together uh, at least once a month, um, right before we close our, our, our worship service. But sometimes we can grow just too accustomed to it, too familiar with it. Sometimes we take it for granted. Uh, so I'm hoping that in uh, discussing this today, Pastor Anthony had told me that he wasn't going to be here and, and he needed coverage. And a question had come up recently about uh, the, the one petition, lead us not into temptation. And so I was like, oh, you know what? That'd be a good time to discuss that because sometimes, you know, we just kind of take for granted. We, we, we get the gist of it, but if someone were to put us on the spot and say, well, explain that because I thought James says he doesn't lead us into temptation. You know, and um, uh, Pastor Jensen and I were able to go to, uh, well, Pastor Jensen was involved. He was on the ordination council for Jason Contino yesterday. And it was a good opportunity to see an, an elder um, who's being kind of put through the paces, you know, explaining his understanding on, on, the, on the major uh, doctrines of the church and then being asked by other pastors, you know, who have been in ministry for, for quite a while, how would you answer this question? How would you deal with this situation? And, and while it's good for the elders to do so, but as believers, we're called to do the work of the ministry, and so we should be able to give an answer. So it's always good for us to meditate on these things and to grow more familiar with it. So uh, let's um, start by reading it, and then um, obviously this is uh, as it's found in, in Matthew 6, and it'll be uh, verses 5 to 13. So we'll read it together, and then we'll, we'll go through and, and explain a few things, okay? So it says, and when you pray, it's giving a little context, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who, is sees, who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for, the, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you have your NAS, NASB, they're like, wait, there's more. <laughs> We're going to go by the ESV version, and, and we'll talk about the doxology another time, perhaps. Um, but just as a, a way of refresher, this prayer that he's about to, that he offers here, uh, starting in verse 9, is a model. And so 
By that, it means that you could pray it verbatim, as we do, uh, or you can also use it as the pattern by which you do pray, you know, praying in accordance with those things, but you're, at, you're, you're able to add on to it, to expand it, to, to speak specifically to situations that you're thinking of, that you're aware of, um, but that it would be in accordance with God's prayer. And of course, we know this is not the only prayer that's acceptable to God. There's, there's many prayers that are acceptable, acceptable to Him. Uh, but I wanted to go through this and remind us of a few things, point out a couple things that perhaps you might not have noticed before. But like I said before, I, I hope to see us have a renewed appreciation for the prayer and perhaps us to be encouraging us, perhaps encourage us to be more thoughtful and intentional in our prayers going forward. So the first thing we want to point out is that this model is in contrast to that of the hypocrites and the pagans. What's the problem with the hypocrite's prayer, according to Jesus? Not yet, that's the pagans. But the hypocrites, the hypocrites, what's wrong with their prayer? What? What's wrong with their prayer? Is it because they pray in public? Are we not to pray in public? No. What's the problem? Right. What's their motivation? To be seen, right? They're interested in being seen by men. They're more interested in their reputation than their relationship with God. Uh, they're more interested in their reputation than reality. And pagans, on the other hand, uh, what's their error? Repetitive. Repetitive. Um, is it wrong to repeat our prayers? I mean, we can persist in prayer, right? We can, we can pray for the same thing over and over again. But what's he talking about here when he says heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. What's, what's, what would be under the umbrella, do you think, of an empty phrase? There you go. That's certainly one of them. Um, there were those, I mean, I think of, you know, Elijah on uh, Mount Carmel with the, uh, the prophets, right, of Baal. And they're, they're going on and on, and oh, Baal, hear us. And they're just, they're, they're cutting themselves. They're doing everything, hoping that if they continue long enough and loud enough, that surely Baal will answer. And by contrast, how, how, how does Elijah pray? <laughs> Shorten to the point, and God answers immediately. Um, now, again, that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to persist in prayer. We're, we're told to persist in prayer. But to just think superstitiously, if I say this X amount of times, and you kind of got to my next question, because I was going to ask the hypocritical prayer and the, the, the pagan prayer, do we still see that today? And how do we see it? What are some examples? Jerry just mentioned one. These are the softballs. I'm not going to try to ask anything too hard this morning. I know we need our coffee. <laughs> there, are, there are a number of uh, cultic type of groups mm -hmm. that will uh, awaken the gods by clapping their hands and repeating phrases mm -hmm. and things like that. I can't give you specific names. Okay. Right, right. 
Uh, Mike and then Steve. You have to pray in such a way, in such a posture, X amount of times, say this over and over again, and then God is somehow obligated <laughs> to answer your prayer. It's a formula, right? You do the work, you're guaranteed the result. Did you want to add something, Steve? Praying the rosary. Praying the rosary, yeah. You know, it's interesting because our Catholic friends, um, you know, who we, we seek to minister to because a lot their gospel has come into something that's far more works-based you know it, it sounds a lot like the mormons like after you've done all you can do you know um then then grace will be applied but they think they have this this grace infused and but they lose it and have to restore it they're constantly working for their salvation but it's interesting that the lord jesus would give a prayer and then they would turn around and use that prayer exactly the way he said not to um, because if you have to pray it five times, what are you accomplishing? Are you even that you can make the Lord's Prayer empty phrases when you're not actually thinking about what does it mean, what is it supposed to accomplish, what is <laughs> what is God's will, and, and what is our what should be our posture towards God? And I'm not talking standing, sitting, eyes closed, eyes open. What's our heart's posture towards God? Is it one of, of humility, <laughs> of reverence, of expectance? Or is it just, I got I to gotta say this five times and then my conscience can be clear? That's an empty phrase. It, it becomes nothing. It's, it's devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's a problem. Um, the hypocritical prayer, do we see that today? We're not sure if we see it or not. Sometimes we assume it when we see a politician praying, right? Um, but do we ever get concerned about our prayers being hypocritical? If you're willing to pray when called upon, if pastor says, oh, so-and-so, can you pray? I'd love to, pastor, and, and, and we pray. But then if you go home and your wife's like, can you pray? No, no. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's, there's hypocrisy in that, right? That we would be willing to pray before men because we want our reputation to be pristine, but we don't pray when we're by ourselves. We don't go into a, a prayer closet and shut the door and, and pray before God. We don't pray with our families. If we're not doing that, but we're only doing it to be seen, we have to be careful because there could be hypocrisy there. Uh, we have to be mindful of our heart attitude. Um, the, the Gentiles, the heaping up empty phrases. Mr. Tina. Yes. It says, call no one father, for you have one father, right? Uh, so that means we don't call dad, dad. <laughs> we don't call father, father. What do you think he's saying there when he talks about that? Mm -hmm. 
Right. Yeah. It is, it is strange how specific prohibitions offered by Christ himself <laughs> is totally disregarded in what would they say is an established religion and, and faith, right? The, the Catholic Church takes that, and for some reason, they find a reason to disregard that. Now, we still call our dad's father, right? Um, the, the context matters. When we think about hermeneutics, right, how do we interpret Scripture? You know, when he says, well, don't call anyone father, but I'm like, but aren't we supposed to? <laughs> aren't we supposed to call our dad father? Um, Paul himself says, you don't have many spiritual fathers, and he references himself as a, as a spiritual father to people in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, you're 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 right there talking about this elevation of people, respecter of persons. What you have in in keep in mind part of hermeneutics, hermeneutics, right? Hermeneutic. <laughs> if you've ever met them, what happens is we have to look at the historical context. What what does this mean to the original audience? Who were they calling father? You know, they're looking to Father Abraham, but they also have the habit of famous rabbis, people of high standing. Oh, the fathers said this. I mean, we talk about the early church fathers. Are we disregarding what God says? Or for them, remember what Jesus said. You know, you have set aside the commandment of God for the tradition of men. And these men were the men they called the fathers. These are the fathers, and fathers are titles of authority, of influence, and you should honor your father. Jesus is trying to remind them, you have one father. Remember him, <laughs> right? And don't elevate anyone else to that status where you take the word of God and you put your tradition right alongside it. The Jews did it. We see it done today. They elevated themselves too. By yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have Abraham as our father. And what did John the Baptist say? He could turn these rocks into children of Abraham. And praise God he did, right? He took our stony hearts and made us heirs of the promise uh, that was given to Abraham. So we have to keep in mind the context, you know, when it comes to fathers. Uh, empty phrases. There are people who think you need to have a, a prayer tongue, a prayer language to be heard by God. They don't even know what they're saying, right? Um, so there's a question there. Are they falling into the trap that Jesus warns them against? Don't, don't think by babbling and, and repeating empty phrases that you'll be heard by God because of your many words. So this model of prayer, Jesus starts, off, starts out by giving us the contrast, giving us the don't do this because they're, they're still around today. It's still possible to, to, to pray hypocritically today. It's still possible to get into the habit of, of thinking, if I just pray this way, if I pray this formula, if I, if I pray this many times, then surely God will hear me and answer. And again, it's, it's, both of these are man-centered rather than having a heart that's um, directed towards God. So let's move on. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. They're praying to other gods. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's 
probably even a bigger issue, right? So, I mean, the, That's the part of the ones that are playing things to our Lord. Right. The Gentiles are praying to whoever they want. Right. That's why they're even more empty than that. Yeah, and that's the original context, is that he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. We're Gentiles. <laughs> if we're not Jews by birth, we're Gentiles. But the Gentiles of their day, you know, the, the gods of, you know, that, that Rome worship. The Christians were called atheists because they didn't worship their gods. They only worship this one god. You know, they don't worship all our gods. They're, they don't believe in God, right? Not our gods. And so, yes, they're praying. They're praying to Baal. They're praying for... Zeus, Jupiter, you know, all these different, you know, the pantheon of gods. And it's empty. It's devoid, uh, devoid of any truth. But they're also, but they have their own rituals and formulas and, and praying all these various things, expecting that they'll be heard. Um, so you're right. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about pagans. He's talking about prayers to false gods. But when we pray the same way, we're praying like the Gentiles still do. And so we want to be careful that we're not falling into that trap, even if it looks different. You know, I, I, um, when I'm outside the abortion mill, I say, you know, people used to, uh, you know, sacrifice their children to Molech. And we say, how primitive, how barbaric that you would sacrifice your child on an altar thinking that'll make the rain fall or you have victory over your enemies. They're worshiping false gods. What's changed today? Just the God that they're worshiping. <laughs> Now it's, now it's clearly just about self. I mean, even when they're worshiping false gods, they're, they're ultimately seeking to have their own desires fulfilled. They're manipulating the false gods for their own prosperity. So the only thing that's really changed is our methodology. Now we sacrifice them before they even get out of the womb. But the hard attitude is the same. If I kill this human being, things are going to go better for me. So things can change in the modern era and yet remain the same. So we want to be careful uh, because we can still fall into this trap. So moving forward, uh, the prayer of the Christian is to be genuine. Our hearts and our minds are to be directed towards the Lord, and therefore our prayers should reflect that. So he says, pray then like this, and he gives us the model. He gives us the pattern. Our Father in heaven, stop right there. <laughs> what does that mean? What, what can we... What can we pull and derive from that phrase? Realizing who you're addressing. Realizing who you're addressing. Yes. It's relational. Right. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Don't go too far on me. <laughs> All right. John Stott point, I, I'm indebted to, you know, I was reading through this, and again, there's so much material out there. Um, I benefited from reading some stuff from John Stott, William Perkins, um, a couple other brothers, um, Greg Blomberg and uh, Marshall, I believe. Just a couple guys I was, you know, you know perusing their, uh, their writings on this and, and, and pulling it. And, and Stott points out three different things here, and you guys mentioned it. One, the relational aspect, personal, right? Father. This is not some impersonal force, right? It's a, it's a person. <laughs> it's a title, right? So here, father, he's relational. Um, what else goes along with father? What, what's another aspect of that that's, that's tied in, you know, it's hand in hand? Well, in this case, creator. 
Right. Right. What's the nature of our relationship? Authority. Hmm? What'd you say? Mm-hmm. Right. Something. What about love? What? Personal relationship, right? So father. So it's personal. There's love, right? You, you think of a father and a child. You know, we live in an imperfect world, but we understand what it should look like. There should be love there, right? Um, how is this different than, you know, the, the false religions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. Jake? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. What about in heaven? He's far away, right? Is in heaven a reference to location? That's, I mean, all good answers, all correct answers. That's more the direction I'm going in. I promise I didn't show up my notes ahead of time. <laughs> like, ah, she's a ringer. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk a little bit more, you know, about what you guys are saying when we get to your kingdom come. Um, but the idea of heaven is, is not primarily about location. Like, well, he, but he is. I mean, our God is in the heavens. But what does it say after? He does whatever he pleases. Who can do whatever they please? Someone with all authority, right? He, he's in heaven. His, his, heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Um, this is a reminder for us and again, context and, and how this audience would be thinking about what does it mean to be in heaven, right? Heaven is above. That's where the authority is. How much of an impact does the things that happen in the heavens affect them? The sun and the moon, right? They govern the day and the night, the seasons, uh, clouds and stars and, and all that. I was going to relate it also to the holiness of holiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there being that level of authority mm-hmm. that Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
We have a God who is personal. We have a God who is loving. We have a God who is powerful, right? He's got all authority, but he is, he's got the power to exercise that authority and not to be thwarted by anyone or anything. Uh, he does whatever he pleases. So this right here, just as we even enter into preparing to pray, preparing our hearts, should be a, a cause for reflection that we would come reverently to God, right? Uh, he is God. He is holy. He is powerful. But we also ought to come to Him expectantly. And how many of us pray because, well, we just, we're going through the motions. Does God hear? Will He answer? We just pray, right? Um, but we're told to to come expecting, as was mentioned, you know, our Father, you know, He gives good gifts to His children, right? Um, and we see that, that taught in Scripture uh, throughout. Um, one more thing before we move on to the first petition. Hour. What does that mean? What do you think of when you, our Father? Is he going with it? I don't know. <laughs> Sarah. He's our father. Another, Mike? Right. You know, there's a lot of emphasis today on making Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, right? And he is your personal Lord and Savior. On the one hand, I mean, Jesus calls his sheep by name. He knows each one of your names. <laughs> and he knew it before the foundation of the world. Preordaining you unto salvation and then calling you by name. So he is personal, right? But it's also corporate. When you are saved, you're not just a, a lone wolf Christian out on your own. You were part of a family. <laughs> you're part of a body. You're part of a people. And so... This prayer, when we're praying for these things, um, we're an active part of the body, and we should be praying not just for ourselves, but for each other, right? And as we go through these petitions, we'll be, be reflecting on that. What are we praying for? Are we just praying for ourselves, or are we praying for the brethren, you know, as we go through? So that's something that should be remembered, <laughs> Um, yes? Yeah. Right. Right. So, Cameron, making sure this gets on the tape. So, you know, he says pray in secret, but then he tells you to pray for us, right? So you're, you're thinking corporately even when you're by yourself. You're never just thinking of yourself alone. You're recognizing you're part of the body and praying for the brethren. That's important. That, that's, it's something that we need to remember as we go through that. Um, so it's good for us to remember who God is before we begin to speak. Another model of, of, for prayer that's a little more modern, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's a good one, is the, um, found in the acronym ACTS. Who's familiar with the, uh, the ACTS prayer, that, that acronym? Anyone? Krista knows. What is it? <laughs> yeah. 
Supplication. Very good. There's a team effort over there. Good job, table. <laughs> Acts. Adoration. Confession. Thanksgiving. Supplication. You know, first we're, we're remembering who God is, <laughs> and we are adoring Him. Uh, then we're confessing our sins before this holy God. <laughs> and then we're giving thanksgiving for how, uh, first is Acts is just, adoration is just who He is. And then thanksgiving later for what He has done for us personally and, and in the world. And then eventually we get to us. <laughs> These things help us to keep in mind our priorities. And um, I actually want to talk about uh, this prayer next. Is that a hand that's thinking about going up? Yeah. Immediately you need to be thanking him after you're confessing, right? Oh, I tell you, I'm going to have to tell Anthony wait till next week. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how fast we can uh, move through this. Something I, I, I want to point out, um, there's a division here, right? That you probably have noticed before. The petitions are first concerned with God's glory and then man's needs. Your name, your kingdom, your will, and then give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Yes, yeah, these are not opposed. <laughs> these work in conjunction, right? Um, for us to have our daily needs, for us to have our debts forgiven, for us to be, helps to have his name hallowed, helps to have his, uh, his kingdom come and his will be done. Getting ahead of me, Jerry. <laughs> He's so good. Um, okay. I think it was Stott says, he believes Calvin, now, well, people recognize this division. He thinks it was Calvin who first made the observation that it actually seems to reflect uh, the Ten Commandments. When you think about the Ten Commandments, two tables, right? The first table is concerned with what? Vertical, right? Our responsibilities before God, right? And the second table is horizontal, right? Our condition, our, our situation, our, our response um, to our neighbors. So we see the same pattern. You, you see patterns all throughout Scripture um, of God and how He operates in His economy. And these are mindful for us. You know, I talked about way back two years ago when the whole COVID thing hit. And everyone was talking about love their neighbor. And so avoid them like the plague. Hmm. Don't meet for church. Love your neighbor. <laughs> what about the first part? <laughs> what about love God? If you don't know how to love God properly, how can you properly love your neighbor? How can you understand what it means to love your neighbor? We have to have our priorities in order and then work from there and use wisdom, applying God's word to understand in each circumstance what is the right thing to do. You know, Ecclesiastes, there's a time for this and a time for that, a time for this and a time for that. Wisdom dictates. But man, people were quoting that, you know, I haven't heard, <laughs> oh, never mind, we'll go on. Anyway, um, so we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, our, our love must be prioritized rightly. Um, and when we pray corporately, our God, our Father, um, when we pray, give us. <laughs> when we pray, 
forgive us. When we pray, lead us. When we pray, deliver us. Are we praying just for ourselves as individuals? No, we're praying for each other. That God would meet our brethren and their, their needs. That he would forgive their sins. Yeah, it gets very cringe, as the kids say, right? <laughs> I'm hip. I'm with it. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I want to stop right here. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Go and do likewise. Um, I've got so much material to cover and not enough time. Um, okay, so when we pray for our brethren, we should also be are we just praying empty words? What does James say? You know, if you say, oh, be warm and filled, you know, and go in peace. What good is that? Right. Amen. Okay. So we're praying, and that should be a reminder to us, and we should seek to be the means when God gives us the opportunity. The good works that he talks about um, walking in, that's what we should be doing. That's what we should be mindful of. And we want to seek to bring these about. So when you're praying this prayer, don't say, all right, God, I prayed it. Do it. <laughs> it should be like Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. You know, what, what can I do to be the means that God works through through accomplishing this? Getting ahead of me there, Reggie. <laughs> yes. Amen. All right. All right. So, hallowed be your name, right? The first petition. Hallowed be your name. Who knows what hallowed means? Holy. Honor, right? His name would be considered holy. His name would be honored. His name, his reputation, his will, we want that honored by all men. Um, what prevents that from happening? What prevents his name from being hallowed? Exactly. <laughs> we do, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it says when you do your good works, your Father in heaven will be glorified. But when we fail, when we sin, when we, we can cause the Gentiles to blaspheme, we can bring reproach on the name of Christ. Lack of love for God, obviously, among unbelievers, prevents His name from being hallowed as it ought to. But even believers can be deficient in our love for God. We can have pride, pride that causes us to be more interested in our own praise, our own reputation, our own honoring rather than God. And so when we're building our kingdom, how much time and energy and devotion do we have to building his kingdom? Yeah, he was walking in a manner that was contrary to the gospel. And that's not honoring to God. And it's going to... 
His example was already causing others. Barnabas was carried along in the hypocrisy. This brings reproach on the church. Oh, some God, we still have the haves and the have-nots. We have those who are the, the favorite and those who are the second class. He was walking them out of those contrary, and that's not going to cause God's name to be honored. Um, so, lack of love, pride, apathy, hard hearts uh, prevent us from being in the Word, growing in its truth, therefore our love for God and our application of it. Okay? Um, we pray this petition, how can our actions demonstrate consistency with the stated desire? We're praying, hallowed be your name. What can we do to see his name hallowed? We've already kind of hinted at it. What can we do to see his name honored? Mm -hmm. uh, but even more than that, sharing the faith. Mm -hmm. We're practical in our day and age, sharing what we know to be the truth. Both are being demonstrated that what you're doing is all in the light, right? Yeah. Jesus said, Do the good works that your Father in heaven will glorify. Amen. Mike? Obeying his commandments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right answers. You know, I, I was saying, uh, my notes I have here, the means of grace, you know, being in his word, and then apply it, right? Um, the good works he's called us to do, good works will be seen by others who will in turn glorify our Father in heaven. When we honor him, when we obey him, he is glorified. His name is hallowed, and we just want to see that influence spread. The second petition, your kingdom come. What, is, what does that mean? Are we still waiting? Well, the kingdom exists in heaven right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we go back to Genesis, right? We were told in Genesis to take dominion, right? Mm-hmm. And to, to uh, uh, flourish throughout the earth. So we're still called to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, is, what is existing in heaven and in the kingdom right now is we're all praised and glorified Him. Well, mm -hmm. Everything that's said, done, and is, mm -hmm. is bringing glory to Him. So the expectation, if we're to bring that here on earth, mm -hmm. we, we're, we're to be disseminating that same idea throughout mm -hmm. everything we do. Right. You're getting it. <laughs> you have all the answers. <laughs> we have studied this in the mentoring group. We dug into this deep. And it all ties together. So it, it's hard not to, to see the spillover. Jason, you had? Okay. Nope, change his mind. <laughs> so his kingdom, and, and, and Jerry was saying this, but like, what does his kingdom mean? This, um, what does his kingdom mean? And, and this is kind of a softball for if you guys have been here any length of time, but uh, has it come yet? His reign. And yes, <laughs> his kingdom has come. So we don't need to pray that prayer anymore. Mission accomplished, right? Can we stop praying that prayer? Progressive. Progressive. Like his reign is present here now, but his kingdom is set to reign. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His king, his, Jerry? His ear is coming here, will be too. Mm-hmm. Yes, amen. His kingdom means his rule, his reign, right? We have a king. As citizens, we have a king. We have his law, his word. We have what does life look like in the kingdom? And so Jesus says a number of times, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And if I'm putting out demons, <laughs> you know, by the power of God, then know that the kingdom has come upon you. So yes, the kingdom is there, but, you know, he gives a number of parables about the kingdom, you know, and the kingdom is something that grows, right? We see that all the way back in Daniel, you know, uh, the, the, four, the statue that represents the four kingdoms, right, the, those empires, um, and then a stone not cut from human hands comes and hits the feet and demolishes that whole thing and then grows into a mountain that covers the earth, right? It comes, and, and this is representing the final kingdom, his kingdom, right? A kingdom that will never be taken away, a kingdom that is given to the saints. We rule and reign with him. And yet it grows, and it grows larger and larger throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. The capital has fallen. <laughs> A new king has taken over. Send out the ambassadors to let them know the good news. <laughs> good news, everyone. You have a new king. Don't worry. He's a better king. But come quietly, <laughs> right? Um, and so, yes, his kingdom, his reign, his jurisdiction, uh, that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning now, and all his enemies are being made a footstool. That's what we're told, right? Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations and you know, teach them all that I have commanded, baptizing them, all that. Right? Um, but it's still spreading. And his kingdom, his influence, his reign is increasing in us and throughout the world. So we're praying for the spread of his reign, that more people would become willing subjects. What part do we play in actually bringing it about? First, we pray, right? And we recognize what God has done and Christ is, is reigning. But what else can we do to see his kingdom come, continue to grow? We have to live it. What does that mean? Well, our, our actions are, our thoughts are, are waiting to be Mm-hmm. Right, right. First and foremost, you know, where do we begin but ourselves? Who are we ultimately responsible for? <laughs> Whose actions do we have control over? Ourselves. If we want to see his kingdom come, we want to first see, start with me. Subjecting ourselves to Christ, living according to his statutes within our lives, Within the sphere of influence we have, if we have families, we want to be living according to God's ways in our families. If you have businesses, you want to be applying God's principles to your business. Um, 
if you have influence anywhere to the best of your ability, you want to bring God's word to bear. You start, obviously, by sharing the gospel, making disciples, and ministering to them that they might understand how they might live as citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Um, and we can minister to those in need, those who have not yet bowed the knee, but when we reach out to the community, when we do the ministry of mercy, when we do other things, when we show God's love, we are showing, you know, how we ought to live in accordance with the kingdom, you know, and being the aroma of Christ to them, that they would be drawn, you know, that God would use it, He'd be pleased to use that as the means by which He draws more people to Himself through the love that is shown um, through Christ's people. So that's the part that we have in, in playing, uh, in bringing this to, uh, to pass. We got the introduction, we got two petitions. I'm going to have to stop. <laughs> I, I certainly don't want to rush to this, and I appreciate the interaction and, and thinking through it. Again, for many of you, this is probably very familiar territory. I'm hoping it's a refresher. I'm hoping it's an encouragement. Um, perhaps some of you, you know, are younger people and, and, and stuff, perhaps this will be somewhat new. But it's good for us to be reminded. It's good for us to you know, have renewed zeal as we go and, and pray this prayer and, and, and pray in accordance with this model. So we're going to stop here, and um, hopefully Anthony will forgive me uh, if, if we cut into his week next time. I'll, he's not gonna, he, he has to. You know, the rest of the verse, uh, 13 of, 14 and 15, says he has to forgive me. So otherwise, no heaven for him, right? Um, so we'll see. I'll either pick it up next week or if he's got something spe special for next week, we will return to this and, and we'll, we'll finish it off. Any final questions before we close for prayer and head to worship? Questions or comments? No? Okay, very good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we thank you for the gift of prayer. Lord, that you would condescend to speak to your creatures who are rebels, lawbreakers, sinners, that you would offer forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then take us who were rebels and make us your children. Tell us to call you Father and to come into your presence with our prayers and petitions, with the promise that you'll hear us and answer us. Lord, that love, that mercy, that grace is more than we can comprehend. But we are grateful. We are thankful. And we pray, Lord, that we would... We would learn to pray rightly. We, would thank you. we thank you that you do direct our prayers. We thank you that the Spirit intercedes for us and, Lord, helps us uh, to pray as we ought to. But, Father, we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Father, as we go to worship, we pray that you'd be with Pastor, Lord, that you would anoint him, help him to uh, articulate with power the, the message that you have for your people. Uh, Lord, that um, those who have not yet bowed the knee, that today might be the day of salvation. For those who are yours, that they would be built up and edified for the work of the ministry. Lord, we pray that everything that is said and done here from this point and for the rest of the day would honor and glorify you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.